If you can focus in on your whole body, physical, as well as your mindset, then it brings out all the senses and you'll really enjoy your sex more. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Dolsky, and I'm joined once again for this interview with the very talented, very witty, LA lawyer, transit whisperer, Rudy Sallow. And we will be chatting with sex and relationship therapist, Dr. Rosanna Sita. How do our ideas about sex education come into our relationships in adult life? How do we communicate desire? And how do we rekindle romance if we've been in a long-term relationship? Do we have dating patterns that are destructive? There's that and so much more. So let's talk desire. Rudy, by the way, thinks that buffets are fine, but hugs are disgusting. Oh. I think buffet, very, excuse me. I said, said, no, 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 you didn't. I said Las Vegas buffets in a casino because there's magical stuff in the air that must give you magic because of all the crazy stupid things that you do in Vegas and somehow, you know, most of the time survive. So there must be something in the air of Vegas casino buffets. Also bowling alleys are okay, but hugs are, should be illegal. No, from now on, what are we talking about? Hugs only for you. (laughs) My kids want to hug me. We're going to have a talk. We're going to have a talk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's just start with Rosanna. What got you into this area of being a sex therapist? Is it sex and couples therapy? Yeah, I do sex and couples therapy. Okay. I call myself a sex and relationship therapist. Sex and relationship therapist. Okay. Uh, what, Does it ever uh, get reverse relationship and sex therapist? It doesn't matter. It's fine. <laughs> Both are special things. No, I teach a class called Philosophy of Sex and Love, but then somebody told me this, that it used to be love and sex. So I'm like, oh, does it matter? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Go on. How did you get into this area of expertise? My, how do I say, the the longer end of it is that my mom has always been very open about sex and sexuality in the way that she was very much like, it's natural, it's normal, not ladylike, so make sure everything is private. And this is, I'm talking about when I was like a child, like penis, vagina, these are the right terms. And you should say them at home, like use the proper language, but don't talk about it at school. So everything was just out in the open and it has always made me comfortable talking about it. And so growing up, I guess I realized everyone else is uncomfortable and had a lot of embarrassment and shame. And it was just kind of. Including yours truly, very uncomfortable yeah. talking about this topic, but you know, if it, you, you don't grow unless you do things that are, that make you uncomfortable. And I blame Catholic school. What do you blame, Gwen? <laughs> I, yeah, I think Catholic school, but I was thinking about, I remember getting the sex talk from my mom and in retrospect, it was actually very sweet. But at the time in my childhood mind, I was terribly confused. And she was saying the man and the woman they fit together like a puzzle. She's Southern. They fit together like a puzzle. And that's actually a really sweet thing. But in my childhood memory, when you do puzzles, what do you do? You have a giant box full of parts. You dump it out on the table and you try to see what fits. So I thought you had to run around and see who fits. She could have totally turned me into some some serious sexual issues. I'm like, who fits? (laughs) You run around and you see who fits. Yeah. she, She almost created, she almost created a monster. Almost, uh, but then Catholic I, school intervened and shut everything down, right? 
I'm 43 and I'm still waiting to have a sex talk with my parents. Is that, <laughs> un, is that unreasonable or is it just, should I just give up on that now? I, I'm, I'm asking the expert. So my mom not only had it with me, but had it with a couple of my friends throughout the years too. That, you know, it was like, it was too late. They needed to know, like stuff like that. Was... Were their parents okay with that? I don't know. Now in my adulthood, I'm like, hmm, I don't know, but. I have a question just because, like I say, I do a lot of these podcasts because I'm a deficient person and I need to educate myself, but I'm also a parent. Is there a right time to start talking with your children? I mean, you, we were, before we started the show, we talked about how young your child is and that mine are four and two. On a previous podcast episodes, I've mentioned that my wife has already brought some sex educational related books to my daughter about people taking pictures or people showing you pictures and this is what you should do. And are my daughter's four. I mean, and it's, should it start that early? Should it start earlier? Like yeah, what, what is the recommendation? I think a couple things, some of the sex education, like I said, learning about a penis and a vulva in proper terms, things like that should be done right away. Bath time, referring to certain parts and boys versus girls, all these things. I think that should be done as, as soon as the words are coming out of your mouth instead of using PP or whatever you want to use. When, use my, son, right when my son says wee wee, I still love it. I mean, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really have to stop with the wee wee yeah. now. I mean, I mean, there's so few things of giving joy in life these days. Please, please yeah. leave me with the wee wee for a little while. <laughs> no, you can have it. Yeah, that's fine. I had a, how old was she? Seven-year-old client who was telling me that her little butt uh, was stinging. Oh. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, oh. Long story short, her little butt was what her parents referred to as her vulva. I see. Why is oh, everyone so afraid of the word? I probably will not say that word on this podcast. So yeah, I mean, I get where the parents are coming from, but, but, <laughs> but referring it, to it as a little butt is horrible. I, I feel sorry. I'm so sorry for that for that girl. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. We corrected it. But to further answer your question, um, so yeah, starting you know with names of our body parts, but also really young to know that your body is your body. So I know a lot of parents they'll say whatever parts your bikini or your bathing suit touches other people aren't allowed to touch. All that's as early as possible. I think that's the way my wife has approached it. My wife, who's a doctor, is clearly way more, way smarter than me. Uh, <laughs> but that is exactly what she is used to. That seems like an, an accepted term that yeah. children can understand and it's socially acceptable to refer to it that way. Yeah, exactly. Rather, I mean, than, the, rather than the little butt, which is <laughs> The terrible, little butt is terrible. really bad. In your work, I was wondering, what is a common sexual dilemma when people come and see you? Is there a common one? So as couples, the most common is probably mismatch in desire. Mm -hmm. One person really wants to have sex more often than the other, but there's all kinds. There's um, different fantasies that somebody wants and the other one doesn't, different sexual preferences, things like that. But m for me, the most common I see is desire discrepancy is what it's called. Do you think that people should have these conversations before they get married? Well, the thing, yes, but the thing about that is it changes. So sometimes before you get married, everything is hot and sexy. And, and then a couple of years later, a couple of kids later, <laughs> uh, loss of a job later, you know, all these things are happening. Your sex life changes. The yeah. Factors, but also how we feel about ourselves and why we want to have sex changes 
So in the beginning, maybe it's, I want to have sex with you because you're a conquest because it's exciting. It's passionate. And then later I want to have sex with you because I want to show you my love or because I want to feel beautiful. Like there, Is wanting a good night's sleep okay? Totally. <laughs> yeah. There's well, hundreds of reasons why people want to have sex. Gwen, you've mentioned yeah. that before. You know there's this stuff called melatonin you can get over the counter. I'm just, just Rudy, you are no fun. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, okay? I'm very uncomfortable talking about this. I said that from the beginning. <laughs> I just, I'll, I'll be quiet now. I, uh, well, something that I thought was really interesting about your website was that I noticed a common theme when you were talking about sex that it never really seems to be about sex. It always seems to be about the love of self, the love of the other, the communication that sex is actually the expression of all these other things working. And then when all those other things are working, then that is magical and beautiful, but it has to start with the communication. What are some tips for people to be able to communicate better with their partners? Yeah. So that, as you said, what can we do from the beginning? That is something you can do from the beginning. So even when sex is hot, you know, hot and it's still new and all these things, novel, I should say, from there, the communication starts. So instead of just being quiet when you don't like something, you could say, you can either say, I don't like that, or you can say, tell them what does feel good, right? Oh, I really like it when you kiss me slowly, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's more on the positive end than like a critical end. And starting that from the beginning or not, if you, you know, if you want to go home and start that right now, great. Just start the positive reinforcement now so that you can communicate your likes and dislikes. Beyond that, like in terms of, you know, different sexual preferences, you want to try something new. The best time to have those conversations, the like tougher, awkward, vulnerable sex conversations are not while you're in the bedroom, but at the kitchen table, because you don't want to kind of taint your bed. You want that to be your calm place, your sexy place. You don't want it to be the place where you unloaded your fantasy and were rejected. Ah, that's a good, that's a good tip. What is a reasonable deal breaker? Like, let's say somebody does say that they want a specific act or how much are you supposed to compromise? What if there is, what if you're in a committed relationship and then it is a deal breaker? They want something like, let's say a threesome or something like that. Sorry, Rudy, Rudy's uncomfortable. But (laughs) what if there's something like that? And then that would be a deal breaker. Like I know for me, that's a place I couldn't go. And then what do you do Mm -hmm. when you're committed and in that? I think your questions are all fair. And I also like the point of, yeah, it'd be great if you could get these all out before a marriage, but we as human beings evolve and our needs evolve and our interests evolve and everything that that evolves. So it's kind of like, and almost like as as a counter argument of if somebody brought up these needs and desires after a marriage and someone said, well, you didn't, you never said any of this type of stuff before we got married. Like, what the hell? Why did you marry me? is a proper response to I have evolved or I have these new needs or I have something. I'm the threading of the needle of, of that of this topic is so important. And I could mm-hmm. see that it could make or break many relationships or many couples. The vast majority, I think, of what your uh, what your job must consist of is is how to navigate the conversation in a way that people feel comfortable of getting their des- whatever desires or needs out. I imagine that's like 95% of what your job is. Absolutely. is actually verbalizing what it is you want 
And then in couples work, it's one's verbalizing and one needs to remain curious and non-judgmental so that the other person feels safe mm -hmm. so that you can know what it is your partner wants, whether or not you're going to give it to them. Isn't really the question at this point in the, in the therapy that we're talking about. It is more feel safe to open up and tell me what's going on. What does happen to answer your question about if it's just beyond my boundary, you stay with your boundary. You absolutely stay with your boundary. If there's something you could do, I don't know, uh, put porn on, maybe that would help put porn on while you two are together. If that's some sort of compromise that works or, or even a cam girl or I don't know. People can think of ways that can compromise. But if both of you are just like, no, I need this and no, I cannot give you that. It's up to the relationship at that point. But I, I would never suggest someone go beyond their boundaries. Okay. What is, see, I'm thinking just us talking about sex education, that I'm wondering how that filters into life then later, what you see with couples, if that impacts the way that communication happens, because it could be that somebody is not even entirely sure what they want or, you know, or maybe what they want. There's maybe some shame because maybe it goes against a religious idea or a cultural idea or I would imagine for girls, just this idea of the silence around their body, and then they're supposed to be nice and chaste. You know, they wear the nice white gown for their wedding, they're virginal and all that stuff. And then they're supposed to be in this way with their, with their husband that's completely contrary to the way that they were raised. I don't mm -hmm. know. What, so what kinds of things do you deal with with gender issues or discrepancies for men and women? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, if you grew up in a family where talking about sex was shameful, taboo, ungodly, in my case, it was unladylike to do anything like that. Natural, but unladylike. If you grew up in a household like that, you're going to feel uncomfortable talking about it. And it's not like you leave your house and then in college or wherever you're, you know, in your experience, everyone's talking about sex. No, because they all have that same upbringing of shame with their sexuality. And so nobody's talking about it. And all this misinformation is out there. So how do you talk about it? That's a great question because nobody really knows how. But it is similar to everything else that's really tough to talk about, all the hard issues, which is you have to be brave and vulnerable and you have to feel safe from the yeah. other so that well, one, other person needs to be open to listening. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things like from Catholic school is that masturbating is a sin. You're not supposed to do it. Young girls don't entirely understand what's going on in the same way that a young boy would. And so because girls are told, you know, they're not supposed to touch, see, or anything like that, that then well into their adulthood, I mean, there's reports of a lot of women that don't even know what an orgasm is mm -hmm. or feels like. And then in that way, they can't even direct the, the man. So they're not having this fulfilling sexual experience because they don't even know what's going on or that they're supposed to give their body over, that sex is really for the pleasure of the man instead of for herself. Yeah, like that is a common thought. That reminds me of another common thought people have is that finding pleasure is your partner's job, right? So a, a lot of women think he's bad in bed, that, which is why I cannot have an orgasm. That's not true. It's our, it's our job for ourselves. Okay. And the way you are able to do that is with what you're saying, self-exploration. How do you get there when you're Catholic or, you know, as you were saying, raised in Catholic school and you have to explore, you just have to explore. One of the scary things is that the way that porn is now and all over the internet is that it is so violent and it still is not about the woman's pleasure. 
I mean, there is some feminist porn out there and stuff, but that that is actually now the teaching tool for girls and boys. Absolutely. And it is scary. Let me tell you, it's giving people complexes about their bodies. And when I say people, I include men in that because the men in porn movies are not normal looking men and their penis sizes are not normal, right? They so are not, not that I would know, but <laughs> it's well over <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and so, I'm sorry if I can make Rudy uncomfortable for a second. <laughs> I am I am not uncomfortable in any way, shape or form. I'm not no, please continue. No, I th- I think the point I think the point I think the point about the violence of porn as it has evolved over the years, you know, you your nineteen seventies version where, you know, these were people that wanted to make a career out of uh, but didn't make it in Hollywood and they went down the, the pornographic road and you can go see boogie nights there's an evolution of it in there and you know whatever is out there these days what i've been told is it's not your daddy's pornography is what a lot of people refer to and i'm sure it probably does give complexes to both men and women and and i don't think using porn as an educational tool can be a a good thing i I guess the number one thing that i'm trying what i'm struggling with i'm a parent and, and i'm trying to figure out the best foot forward to recognize that, you know, eventually I'm going to have to teach my children about sex mm-hmm. and I'm trying to, you know, know how little my parents ever talked to me about it because they're immigrants and, and in the Arab world, which whether you're Christian, whether you're Muslim, yeah. there's cultural things that are a part of it that you just don't talk about it. Like I wasn't kidding when I said I'm 43 and I'm still waiting to talk to my parents about sex. Like it's, you just don't talk about it. I grew up with, if you watched a movie with your parents and the sex scene came on, you got up, got off of the couch and walked away. That was the normal thing to do because it was so embarrassing and you just don't talk about it. So I'm sure that was a common thing amongst many immigrant families. What I'm trying to figure out is, is the ignoring and the not talking about it is that just perpetuating the problem of the lack of, of sexual education, of any of the issues that we do have there with the sexual violence? There's so many issues out there that we don't even have enough time within this podcast to address them. But is it the fact that we are so uncomfortable as a society that we can't even talk to our own freaking children who see us naked and we see them naked? We can't even talk to them about our bodies. And that is just perpetuating the problem, kicking the can down the road. And it'll always be a problem, number one. Or number two, that was the first question. Number two, from your studies and from your education, have you ever found that the people that were properly educated as young children have a much better, uh, much more adult, much more mature approach to sex than those who you know, got the upbringing that I and, and other people that go to religious schools and have uncomfortable parents have? I'm really curious about the dichotomy between the two. Yeah. So you're right. It does perpetuate the cycle when you are hush-hush about sexuality. What happens when you tell a child leave during this part of the television show or, you know, cover their eyes, it breeds curiosity. So all they want is to see it. That's all they want to do. And nowadays, I mean, depends on what age we're talking, of course, but nowadays they just need to get on their computer and they'll see it, right? It's not hard to find sex. So the more you kind of contain them or try to shelter them from sexuality when it is everywhere, I believe the more it'll drive their curiosity. And then where are they going to look for it from? Porn, friends, 
I don't know, blogs on the internet, what, you know, whatever. Because their parents aren't talking to them about it. Like right. I, I could continue the problem of people, of my children, you know, someday using porn to educate themselves or for anything, if I don't actually have the guts to talk to them about sex, to talk to them about their body, I could be the problem. And I, I'm the one that needs to kind of become mature and have these conversations in order to fix that problem. That's the only way it's ever going to get fixed. That's what I'm understanding here. That's what I, I want. I to agree. Okay. I agree. I think that is right. Yeah. But it doesn't need to be like a, okay, we have to sit down now. I'm going to tell you about the birds and the bees. It doesn't need to be like that. It can be as things come up. So two people are making out on TV. The child looks uncomfortable. You can say they really love each other. When two people love each other, they kiss. I mean, this is off the top of my head, but you can say something like that. They're married. Married people have a certain way they show love. I don't know, however you want to say it. But as they come up, as like in real time, in real life, is much more valuable. And it also shows the child that at any moment, they can bring something to you. It doesn't have to be like, let me go to dad and have this awkward conversation. They can just say, hey, so-and-so said this at baseball yesterday. And what's that mean? That's the key. It's got to be that the kids have to feel comfortable talking to you about literally everything. Because if they're not going to talk to you about sex, they're not going to talk to you about drugs. They're not going to talk to you about drinking. They're not going to talk to you about their suicidal thoughts. They're not going to talk to you about anything. So it starts with something that basic. You just, you got to be mature. You got to be a parent. You got to be that, you know, you can't be that, I don't want to hear it or get, get off the couch and don't look at this scene that's literally burying your head in the sand like an ostrich and causing more problems than it's worth long-term. I completely understand. Yeah, and the studies seem to show that the more you do talk to children about it, then they will actually have better, more fulfilling sex lives and fewer partners, less promiscuity. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense because if I think if a young woman understood her body and what it could do, the pleasure that it was capable of having, then there is no way that she would ever put up with you know, any kind of violence. It's like in pornography or like pretending that it's something else if she understood that that's the way that her body functioned. I have a question for you. What is mindful sex? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is- that was, By the way, you got cut out a little bit there. It was the question, what is mindful sex? Yes, Rudy, that is exactly what I asked. Just wanted to, just wanted to make sure <laughs> that the, 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 that the listeners <laughs> were very sure, you know, I just wanted to make sure. That's all. Rudy, this is so I'm much trying, fun. Look, I'm trying I love to, it. I'm, I love I'm it. To, I'm always trying to make myself educated. So please, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> okay. Mindful sex. So you know, you know mindfulness. Mindfulness, it's kind of like a meditation. It's um, being present in the moment. And many of us are not. Going back to women's orgasms, that's one of the key things that we work on. Because especially women have a hundred things going on. You know, that mental load we talk about in their mind. And so if you can be present in your body, even more uh, centralized, present, you know, in your erogenous zones, that can really help with orgasms, for example. And mindful sex is also a really great tool for people with ADHD because same kind of thing. They're like, their, their thoughts are going everywhere. And so if they can, again, just focus in on what they're feeling what is the feeling on your fingertips, your partner's soft shoulders or breasts or whatever it is, right? That is really sexy and sensual. If you can just focus in on, on just your, I'm just talking about fingertips right now, right? And so if you can focus in on your whole body, 
physical as well as your mindset, then it brings out all the senses and you'll really enjoy your sex more. Rudy, did you get all that? (laughs) (laughs) I know what mindfulness is. (laughs) And I do try to use, I do try to use mindfulness in dealing with my own stress and with my own anxiety. Yeah. So I could, I know how to take one concept. (laughs) Even though I, even though I went to Catholic school, I know what sex is and, and I can combine the two. I did find that very interesting about the whole ADHD. Do you see a lot of people that are actually clinically diagnosed with ADHD? Have you recommended that they either A, I mean, obviously use mindfulness, but anything else? Like is there, uh, uh, marijuana seems to be the thing of the day and, and other types of psychedelics. And, and you can see there's this movement these days of trying to use other types of drugs uh, to address some mental issues. I'm just curious if there's a movement in the sex ed camp to address that as well. You definitely have to be able to recognize it. So many people have it. And some people, you know, were diagnosed when they were children and some not. And so adults having ADHD is a, it's a complicated diagnosis because of all the different factors going on in our life, right? Stressors and things like that. I always refer to medical doctors for a second opinion of diagnoses. And then I don't prescribe medication at all. They do go, I've often had clients with ADHD and sexual issues. And the reason is because, you know, actually the the most common issue that they come to me with is lack of sex. So they don't want it as much. And one of the reasons is because from the time they think, hey, I would like to have sex, to actually initiating that sex, getting undressed, you know, putting the kids in front of the Disney movie or whatever, getting undressed, getting it all done, they're already onto the next thing. So they're not fully completing what they need to do because on the way to the bedroom, they were like, oh yeah, I have to hang that picture over there. And they forget. Do people change? Yeah, I think so. You know, if they don't, we're in trouble. Right. (laughs) I'm thinking about how people tend to repeat dating patterns where it's different people, but then they end up in the exact same situation. That's why I'm wondering, do people change or how do you see things or how do you initiate change so that you're in a healthy relationship? So in that case, yes, kind of two questions. One is big. Do people change? And to answer that, it is that, yes, I believe they do once they recognize what this pattern is, mm-hmm. do they want to change? Is it serving them well? And then you have to work hard to do that change and, to, and be held accountable, have realistic goals, things like that. But yes, of course we all change. And then the other part about dating and you're constantly, you know, dating the same woman, type of woman or same type of man. I hear that so much in my office as well with my single clients. And they always say, but I didn't know he was X, Y, and Z. You can't tell in the beginning how, you know, it's just coincidence. It's not me. I'm not picking these people, right? It's because you couldn't tell. I didn't know he was going to be depressed or I didn't know she was had low self-esteem, you know, whatever it is. And the thing about it is twofold. One half of it is we do what's comfortable to us. And so I'm taking it back to your childhood. I'm taking it back to mom and dad. And those opposite sex connections from when you were a kid, 
what are the patterns there and are those what's repeating? It's often yes. It's often I have to white knight every girl I date, meaning take care of her, find a troubled girl and take care of her every single time because I had to take care of my mom when I was younger, for example. And so we do that subconsciously because it's comfortable. This person feels comfortable. Oh, I know how to do this with this person because it's what you've always done. Even if it's miserable, (laughs) it's still comfortable. Absolutely. This is how domestic violence is perpetuated, right? It is because of a household we grew up in, what was acceptable in a relationship that we saw. Oh, it's okay if he punches the wall. It's just not okay if he punches me, but the wall's fine in my parents' relationship. So I grow up and, oh, it's okay. He punched the wall. That's fine. I'm safe. You know, so these patterns really do stick with us. And then the other half of it is when you are thinking about your new prospect, oftentimes if you were to make like a list physically, just write down a list of each of your last few prospects that ended up with the same problem, you probably could find similarities right from the beginning. There's little like hints people give, little red flags or little things. If you're paying attention and you know what your pattern is, you can find it. So in therapy, for example, we make you aware of that, the habit, the bad habit of the pattern. Because once you're aware of it, you go, I'm doing it again. I can see that again. And then once you do that, then it's up to you. (laughs) Up to you. How am I going to change this? Back to sex therapy stuff. I have heard that men have a harder time with sex toys, that they're actually better for women. Is that true? Better. Or that men feel intimidated by the sex toy. (laughs) Is that true? Sorry, Rudy. Sorry. We're having we're having an adult discussion here. This why is do you adult. Keep, why do you keep laughing? I mean, it's a that is a very. I'm laughing at you. I'm not even saying I'm anything. Laughing, I, I'm, I'm laughing at the look on your face when I ask these questions. I have no look on my face. I am not intimidated by anything. Not true, nothing, that is nothing, not true. nothing intimidates me. So, but there I am curious. So, other than this guy, what intimidates other people? I think is what Gwen is asking. Right, Gwen? Well, is that what you're asking? I, so I think. Well, I've heard that. The, yeah, the sex toys are a good thing, but that actually women prefer them more than men. That men, when, when it's brought into the couple situation, that men do not enjoy them as much. Is that true? Or I don't know. So I don't know, study on it. So we're speaking in generalities, of course, but I would say I have heard people or men having issue with it. They want to make sure that you don't want this vibrator because they're doing a bad job. They want to be sure that you don't need lube because they're not turning you on enough. When in actuality, all this issue needs is sex education because it's not because you're not turning her on. It's because women need lube sometimes. It's just physical and it doesn't have anything to do with how turned on they are especially as we age. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> now he's making a face. <laughs> <laughs> I am not making a, f- I'm, I'm seriously not even smiling or anything. I'm, I'm literally listening to, there's no, fr- I'm trying to become educated okay. by, so, by these things that you guys are saying. Rosanna, is there anything, so we're both new moms. I, what do you have to say about sex postpartum or things to be aware of? The first thing that comes to my mind is birth control. <laughs> okay. That was good. That was very, very, that was, that was funny. That was very funny. Yes, yes. 
Especially while you're in, while you're in the middle of sleep training, because it's yeah. that'll, that'll, that'll make you think like, what the hell did I do? Can I please just get some eight hours back a night? Like this is this Can is I crazy. Put it back? No, there, no, there's no putting back. There's no, there's no putting back. And you can get pregnant right away. Like there really are some myths out there that if you're breastfeeding, there's the myth that if you're breastfeeding, you can't get pregnant. That is an absolute myth. If you need birth control, if you don't want to have a child and you want to have sex. Beyond that. One thing I found interesting in, in my experience is, you know, after, well, I had a C-section. I'm not sure if it's the same for vaginal births, but af- I think it is. After six weeks, they say you're good to have sex. That is a doctor's recommendation about your biological. It has nothing to do with your mental state, and that is up to you. So that's one thing that I think is really important. It's not, I got the okay to have sex. I need to have sex now. No, no, no. It's on your own time. Yeah, because there's so much just in terms of desire, the body has just radically changed. Here's a question for you, just because uh, you know my wife went, th- my wife and I went through IVF and the whole process of trying to get pregnant, and uh, it was extremely stressful for years. I mean, three, four years, whatever, however long it took. It certainly took the um, it took a lot out of it. We did not go to couples therapy, sex therapy. We just, we, we hammered it out and, you know, you know, boy, that was a terrible term. I meant- uh, I was just going to say, that just we, sounded lovely. We're we, keeping that. We worked things out and, <laughs> and you know, everything's all good there. However, however, I mean, it, it really is a major mind F to go through IVF and we went through it twice and it's so stressful both on the man and on the woman the sexiness of sex is out the window it just is when you're trying to get pregnant uh, and you're overly focused on it how many couples do you see what kind of advice do you give them and i mean having gone through it i could just say you just kind of got to go through it i've got no advice i'm not an expert but if i had a friend or if i had a relative that went through it and if they felt comfortable enough after listening to this podcast to come to me for sex advice instead of going straight directly to you because i'm admitting that i went through ivf and they're saying oh it's very difficult but in all seriousness what could i tell a male or a female going through the hell of ivf about how to keep some of the romance alive. I'd, maybe I'm trying to talk to the past, you know, my past self that went through that. But what do you tell those couples? So in hard times, I'm not necessarily looking to reignite the super passionate throwdown kind of sex for them. What they need to work on is increasing their intimacy communication-wise to get through this. And through that, they'll feel close and loving and have better sex. So in terms of IVF, they need to learn how each other copes. If you need to have a beer at the end of the night because it's so stressful, cool. If she needs to take a bath, cool. But you need to learn that so that you're not resentful of the other one taking a bath. Well, you have to do the dishes or, you know, whatever it is. Understanding the ways you cope is really important. And also knowing that many couples feel like something's the other one's fault in IVF. It's your fault. We didn't have a child until I was many years old. It's my fault. I am quote unquote less of a woman because I cannot have a child, you know, all these things. So getting that out in the open, like this real pain inside so that you can look at the other person and say, no, it is not, that is not true. That is not true and help them heal. 
yeah, no, it, it, it's a it's super important to go through that. And even if it is quote unquote your fault because of that fault is such a horrible world, but but let's say you had a low sperm count, or let's say you had a low egg count, like you're gonna get through it together. Like you chose this person, you committed to this person, you want to try to procreate with this person, whether it's naturally, whether it's through IVF whether it's through adoption, whether it's through foster children. Once you decide to go down that road, that crazy psychotic road of having children, that's it. You gotta go through it. And there's gonna be ups and there's gonna be downs. Having gone through IVF and my wife gone, gone through IVF, we're very vocal about it. We're very honest about it because we know it's still taboo to talk about. and People are still embarrassed to talk about it and they don't want to because it's such a difficult time period. I'm very open about it because I want to I want to help anybody else that's out there that's going through it and just know like, look, we've gone through it. Thank God we were successful. It was a lot of hard work, it was, but it was a lot of luck. I wish you the best. It's all worth it. And then they come out and then you never sleep for the rest of your life. Like your life is literally <laughs> over. And that life that you wanted to change so hard before by going through IVF and having children and all that stuff, that life is gone. It's gone, baby. You have a whole new life. That's, I want people to be aware of that. They need to be aware of that. They have to be aware of that. I wanted to wrap up with what is a concrete tip? Let's just say something that can be common for couples who've been together for a while and then sex is just no longer part of their relationship. They both want it back. What are some concrete steps for them to get back into that? Reconnect. So how do you do that? Maybe it's as simple as a weekend away or even a date night, starting a regular date night. Can I make one suggestion? Absolutely. Yes. Vegas. It's always Las Rudy. Vegas. I'm telling you, <laughs> Las Vegas solves everything. I'm just, sorry, but I'm serious. It's that date. And if you live in LA, Vegas is the place. Just saying. Yeah, sure. That's what works for Rudy, I guess. Yeah, you, gotta, <laughs> you have to reconnect and you have to actually pay attention to each other. So if you have a date night, you go out to dinner. Great. You come home, you're both on your phones. What? Did date night end? I don't understand. That's not how dates I used to go on were, right? No, you go out to dinner, you come home, you're still connecting. It's still your time. And then you also can uh, use nostalgia a little bit. This is really fun. You can verbalize like, hey, remember that time we did X, Y, and Z? That was really hot, things like that. Or you can do things. Our first weekend away, let's recreate that. Let's do that. Remember we did this and, th and that really pumps people up and it's so romantic. Oh, I like that. I like the nostalgia one. <laughs> I'm taking notes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Rudy's. <laughs> did, did, did you write down Las Vegas? Did you write it down? Because I could tell you the hotels. I could tell you the shows. I got a whole, I got a whole thing, whatever. I mean, Buffets, the whole thing. I mean, it's gone now because of COVID-19, but back in the day, being nostalgic, you could talk about having fun in Vegas. It's a great place for couples, I, I must say. It really is. Everyone thinks Vegas is all about the, the bachelor parties and the bachelorette parties and all that, you know, boys being ridiculous and other thing happening. I disagree. I think Las Vegas is a phenomenal place for couples. I highly recommend it. The kids are at home because they have to be. They can't be walking around the casinos, the restaurants. It's I, I'm going to start crying thinking about Las Vegas <laughs> right now. I'm sorry. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, this was fun. Thank you for no, being a good sport. So thank you for tolerating me. <laughs> hey, Rosanna, I don't get a thank you from him for that. <laughs> she, doesn't, she, doesn't get, she doesn't deserve it. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Right. Take, Take care. care.
Thank you for listening. I will be linking Dr. Sita's website to the show notes. If you have any thoughts, musings, questions, concerns, or if you want to tell Rudy he's funny, you can get in touch on Instagram at goodisinthedetailspod or email us goodisinthedetailspod at gmail.com. Please rate and review the show. Share the show. Tag us on Instagram, a screenshot of your favorite episode or this episode. All right, stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, and don't hoard toilet paper. Bye.